Welcome to the Omfair podcast. Hello and welcome to the OnFIF podcast, a weekly discussion on key trends in investments and economic policy from some of the world's leading commentators. I'm Katrina Atkins, Program Coordinator at OnFIF Sustainable Policy Institute, and today we will be discussing the topic of dealing with climate risks for financial stability. I'm delighted to be joined today by Pedro Duarte Neves, advisor for the Board of Directors of Banco de Portugal. Pedro chairs EU committees in the scope of the Joint Committee of the European Supervisory Authorities and the European Banking Authority. He was vice governor of Banco de Portugal and vice chair of the European Banking Authority. Pedro is also a visiting professor at Catholico Lisbon School of Business and Economics, associate at the Systemic Risk Center at London School of Economics, and a member of the advisory board of the European Banking Institute. Welcome to our podcast, Pedro, and thank you for joining me today. We are going to deep dive today into the topic of climate change risks for financial stability. And to our listeners, whether you are an expert in sustainable finance or simply interested in learning more about it, we hope that you will find our conversation informative and engaging. So let's jump into our first question, Pedro. As the threat of climate change looms large, it's essential to understand how advanced economies are vulnerable to the risks associated with it. From your vast experience, uh, what are advanced economies' of vulnerabilities to climate risks, Pedro? Well, let me start by saying that it is a great privilege for me to be here and participate in this podcast. Uh, many thanks to the Sustainable Policy Institute and to you, Katharina, for this invitation. Just before addressing your question, question, let me just start by a simple fact. The increase in global GDP and energy use over the last 175 years has been accompanied by a rise in average global surface temperature of some one degree Celsius and an increase in global sea level of over 20 centimeters compared to the pre-industrial area. Warming of the climate system, I mean, is, is a reality. The atmosphere and ocean have warmed, the amounts of snow and ice have diminished, and sea level has risen. So today is clear, I think, for all of us, that climate change and the necessary mitigating policies will affect the functioning of the economy in many possible dimensions, inflation, output, sectoral location of economic resources, public sector, even transmission of monetary policy. Climate change is not an episodic or transitory shock, it's a cumulative process. And as Nicholas Stern put it, I mean, Sir Nicholas Stern some 15 years ago, climate change is a result of the greatest market failure that world has seen, because those who damage the others by emitting greenhouse gases generally do not pay for it. So uh, moving on the implications for financial stability, typically it's usual to identify three categories of climate risks that could impair the economy and the preservation of um, financial stability. And, and the three are physical risks, which result from the increasing frequency and severity of extreme weather events. I mean, I'm talking about floods, storms, sea level rise, droughts, heat waves, wildfires. And this, as a, as a result, may erode the value of financial assets and or increase liabilities. Transition risks are associated with the adjustment process towards a low-carbon economy. 
as the necessary shifts in policies will induce a relocation of productive resources across the economy and once again are likely to affect value of financial assets and liabilities. And finally, the climate-related litigation risks, which may arise if economic agents are held liable for losses related to environmental damage that may result from their actions and omissions. And this is happening uh, already in some cases for non-financial corporates and governments for aspects like insufficiency in disclosures, in the management of climate-related risks, or by financing polluting projects. In conclusion, climate change, I think that's uh, the conclusion for it, brings new challenge for the preservation of financial stability. I would say, however, on a more positive tone, that fortunately global standsetters, financial authorities, and financial institutions in general are taking uh, mitigation actions. Thank you, Pedro. And uh, as you mentioned, transition to a low-carbon economy is crucial. But here, I'm saying that a disorderly transition, uh, the transition to a low-carbon economy, which occurs in unexpected and chaotic ways, could bring uh, significant challenges and risks. Could you talk me through these challenges and risks, and especially with with the focus on uh, EU? I mean, transition risks have, as I I mentioned, possible effects on the value of financial assets and liabilities. However, in the case of an orderly transition, if we manage to economic uh, orderly transition, economic agents in principle will have time and conditions to adjust. However, in the case of a disorderly transition, I mean, brought, for instance, by sudden policy action, for instance, under pressure from increasing materialization of physical risks. I mean, in the case of a disorderly transition, it is not inconceivable to have, um, I mean, challenging effects on financial stability. And uh, possible channels could be the following impact on assets or liabilities in sectors more exposed to climate risks, increasing credit risk in some industries, abrupt changing risk premiums, Increase in insurance costs and or in protection gaps. And the important message here, and this type of uh, costs, uh, I mean, they exist for the European Union. Um, one of the characteristics of climate change is that impacts are not necessarily homogeneous across um, geographies, across economic agents, across sectors. So, I mean, there will be some heterogeneity in it. But I mean, the the key message here is that timely mitigation actions by all stakeholders will make more likely an orderly transition. And that of this, of course, has advantage from the point of view of financial stability. And to highlight this point, uh, I will uh, recall the results of the ECB, European Central Bank. I mean, the economic-wide climate stress test that highlights the benefits of uh, early action. For instance, probabilities of default as well as losses, even default, in the case of an orderly transition, are considerably lower in the medium term, say, after 10 years or so, when compared to the case of this orderly transition. And this allows us to conclude that early action will very likely reduce the impact or mitigate the impact of losses or expected losses in the banking uh, sector. And just to be more precise on that, I mean, orderly transition assumes that climate policies are introduced early, 
and became and become gradually more stringent and that uh, translates in relatively subdued physical and transition uh, risks uh, thank you pedro you mentioned ecb and their work that they are doing on the climate stress tests and uh, so just in general, we see that central banks and policymakers are taking an increasingly proactive approach to addressing climate risks, both in Europe and globally. And my question uh, then would be, what tendencies do you see? I appreciate that you already mentioned a little bit of this. And how do you see the work of the uh, such organizations as uh, the network of uh, central banks and supervisors for greening the financial system and GFS or financial stability board FSB or you know, ECB that you've already mentioned and uh, the EBA European Banking Authority a part of which uh, you've been and uh, still are okay um yeah thank you very much Katerina here I tried to highlight some um of the most relevant uh, studies and reports that have been produced. And I will start from the global institutions and I'll move to the EU ones. So starting by the network for greening the financial system, which by the way, is a network of more than 100, 114, according to the last count, central banks and financial supervisors that is developing recommendations for climate change. I mean, they are really developing an essential work First of all, the development of the climate scenarios, which constitute now, I mean, at global level, the common starting point for the analytical assessment of climate risks. The NGF has also developed the relevant approach to overcome data gaps. I mean, data gaps is a critical aspect in all of this, as well as guidelines for climate-related disclosures for central banks. And finally, the NGFS, the network, uh, has also published a roadmap for supervisors with concrete proposals on aspects like, just to name the few, some few of them, the assessment of risks, development of supervisory expectations, and on the organizational structure. The Financial Stability Board published, the, well, in July 21, a roadmap for addressing climate-related financial risks proposing a coordinated work across standard setters and international bodies covering many aspects, and I just named a few of them. Disclosures, data, vulnerability analysis, regulatory and supervisory practices. The Financial Stability Board has also launched a discussion on supervisory and regulatory approach to address climate-related risks, and it's recently released the uh, work program for 2023 uh, also includes uh, initiatives following those lines. Now, moving to a more uh, EU approach, starting by the European Banking Authority. I mean, the EBA launched a very relevant uh, public consultation last May on how the current prudential framework interacts with uh, environment risks and on whether any adaptations are required to effectively address such risks. And I'm talking about the usual categories, credit risk, market risk, operational risk, and concentration risk. Of course, IOPA and ESMA are doing um, a very similar uh, work for, I mean, insurance and pension funds and uh, financial markets. And the joint committee of the European Supervisory Authorities, where the three of them are, as many initiatives on sustainability, uh, for instance, uh, on um, sustainability-related disclosures. Now, the ECB 
I mean, the ECB has a very complete uh, climate agenda and set very ambitious objectives, objectives in what concerns financial stability. I mean, climate stress testing conducted by the ECB has set, uh, I mean, and that, that was uh, really uh, innovative, very demanding standards in terms of uh, granularity. The economy-wide economy uh, climate stress test covered millions of companies worldwide. I mean, 5 million, which is really a, a very large number. 1,600 euro area banks and an unprecedented geographical granularity on physical events, just to provide some features of uh, this exercise, which, I mean, as we know, has been complemented as well by a bottom-up uh, stress test. DCB has also developed the uh, supervisory expectations and has just released a new set of climate-related statistical uh, indicators. Now, sorry, I, I just remember it now coming back again to the global that I mentioned, that uh, the IMF, the IMF uh, has also released the staff note uh, some six months ago on how the fund is incorporating climate change aspects on the FZAPs, I mean FZAPs, uh, the financial stability sector assessment program. So, I mean, all in all, an impressive amount of work has been done since uh, McCartney some eight, nine years ago stated that, um, I mean, a seminal speech that climate change posed serious uh, financial stability risks. Today, analytical approaches like the use of climate scenarios, integration of climate risks in the supervisory process, um, as well as the definition and monitoring of supervisory expectations, are uh, all of them analytical approaches that are well established. Uh, at global level and constitute uh, sort of state-of-the-art tools for uh, financial stability assessment. Uh, thank you, Pedro, for giving us such a useful overview of policy developments. And uh, indeed, an uh, impressive amount of work has been done. And uh, in the Sustainable Policy Institute, we've been uh, working together with uh, these organizations, and many of them that you've mentioned, and with the uh, work streams, uh, NGFS work streams, so indeed, uh, it's obvious that organizations are taking proactive approach to address climate risks. And uh, my next question would be on achieving a low carbon economy and at the same time ensuring uh, financial stability. How can we support the transition to a low carbon economy while also ensuring the financial stability, Pedro? Yeah, thanks, Katharina. That's not um, a straightforward question to answer. Let me just uh, mention some uh, of the characteristics of climate change that make it different than other sources of structural changes. I mean, there are other sources of structural change like automation, digitalization, or even uh, aging and demographic uh, composition of the populations. But it's I think it's important to highlight the characteristics, I mean, the most relevant characteristics of climate change. And here I, I selected three. First of all, climate change has a far-reaching impact in terms of scope and magnitude in the sense that it will impact all the economies, all agents in the economy, across all the sectors and the geographies. But it is also the case that the impact will be very heterogeneous across the same dimension, geographies, economic sectors, and across economic agents. The second is that the magnitude, the timing, and the nature of the impacts is extremely uncertain. 
And for that, historical experience is of very little help uh, uh, for us. The consequences of climate change are unprecedented, and interrelations between physical transition, possible litigation risks are very difficult to anticipate. Uh, what is foreseeable, though, is that there is a very high degree of certainty that the combination of physical and transition risks will materialize in the future. And finally, the third and possibly the most relevant for your question is that there is a dependency on short-term actions as the timing, size, and nature of the future events, whatever how, how uncertain they are, and the nature, the size, the time, the size of such future events will be determined by the actions or omissions taken today by policymakers. I mean, starting by uh, governments and, and um, other authorities uh, on the financial sector as well, but also by other economic agents like financial market participants, firms, and households. So what is the best way to support the transition to a low-carbon economy? It's important that timely action takes place, making the climate transition as much as possible a smooth project process, Sorry, even if there is a large degree of certainty. And I think it's important to um, say that governments are in the best position to address this challenging situation through global coordination. I mean, global coordination across different uh, geographies is very important, as well as through the adoption of policies like tax on carbon or subsidization of green energy. And uh, on the side of preservation of financial stability, authorities have to develop instruments first to monitor properly climate risks, and that has to do with uh, developing uh, and proposing the required metrics, to provide incentives to financial firms to deal adequately with those risks, and that leads us to supervise expectations, and uh, uh, should uh, progressively uh, include the management of climate risks in the supervisory process. Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, well, developing indicators to monitor the transition process towards a low-carbon economy is uh, critical, and uh, uh, but developing these indicators can be challenging. So my next question would be about such indicators and how to effectively develop them to monitor the transition process. Well, um, fortunately, the ECB has um, released um, last uh, January a report on this, so makes the uh, question more easy. And the European Systemic Risk Board has also produced very relevant on uh, vulnerability metrics. <clears throat> I would say that um, I see three main types of indicators. First, exposure metrics which attempt to measure the exposure of the banking sector or the financial sector, more concrete, or to transition and physical risks through the sectoral decomposition of the loan portfolio. So like carbon intensity of bank lending or assessing the exposure based on the EU taxonomy for sustainable activities. A second type of metrics are the risk metrics that combine banks' loan exposures with firms' emissions and probabilities of default, allowing to assess if the risky credits in the economy are or not concentrated on the sectors or firms likely to be more affected by the climate transition, 
And then a third type of indicators uh, less developed at the moment are the system-wide metrics. And this trying to capture aspects like interdependencies and correlations uh, in the financial system. It is, however, extremely important to be aware of, I mean, the severe limitations of the, these indicators as they exist today. And um, DCB also stressed that, I mean, they basically do not comply with um, what we call, what we are used to be the usual quality requirements of the official stati statistics. So this year, there is really clearly work in progress and substantial work uh, is still needed to capture more, <clears throat> let me say, accurately and timely these climate-related risks. Thank you. And it's very, very interesting about this type of metrics that you mentioned. And the last one, was it system life metrics? Was the system... Uh, uh, systemic metrics, exactly. System-wide system metrics, system-wide metrics. So, I mean, for the system as, as a whole and trying to capture already uh, something that uh, I hope to have the opportunity to discuss later in this podcast, which are the importance of amplifications and interconnections within the um, uh, financial system. Yes, thank you for this uh, clarification. Uh, and uh, now I would like to delve a little bit into the role of prudential policy in addressing climate change and examine with you how supervisory expectations can be leveraged to promote sustainable practices. So can you talk me through the role of prudential policy in addressing climate change and what can you say about the role of supervisory expectations? Okay, so starting for um, uh, supervisory expectations, Basically, they correspond to, I mean, as his name says, supervisor expectations on how financial institutions should address all the risks and uh, opportunities uh, arising from the climate change. In November 2020, the ECB, or the Single Supervisory Mechanism, to be more precise, has defined how it expects banks to prudentially manage and transparently disclose, so two dimensions here, climate-related and environmental risks. And this corresponds to a very complete set of supervised expectations that cover four thematic areas, uh, business model and strategy, governance and risk appetite, risk management, and disclosures. And all in all, those four thematic areas correspond to 13 uh, supervisory expectations. Okay, more than defining them, the ECB has been reviewing uh, its implementation uh, through self-assessment exercises run by the banks, and then, of course, that are assessed by the, the ECB. And now, and this is a recent decision just three months ago, DCB defined that by the end of 2024, so I mean in a two years horizon, banks should meet the complete set of supervisory expectations on climate and environment risks outlined, as I mentioned before, in November uh, 2020. And uh, as far as the review is taking place, DCB has sent uh, uh, individual feedback reports to the bankings, uh, identifying their main shortcomings and requiring them to take um, decisive action. Just uh, uh, more on prudential policy other than supervisory expectations. Uh, it's very important the work that is being done by the ECB on scenario analysis, 
as well as incorporation, which is in the very uh, earliest stage of this type of risks in the risk assessment that is conducted by DCB on the euro area and other uh, banks. So microprudential policy, as a matter of fact, has uh, uh, been very effective in addressing climate change risks, um, I mean, for individual institutions. Uh, yeah, indeed, thank you. And uh, the amount of work that has been done is impressive, but uh, we are sure that there will be more to analyze uh, for us uh, in the future. And I uh, appreciate that you mentioned this, like climate scenario analysis and stress testing. This has already mentioned, been mentioned several times, but let's uh, discuss uh, and delve into this topic a little bit more. Obviously, these are essential tools in assessing climate risks to financial stability, but my, my question would be uh, on the elements of a successful climate scenario analysis and stress testing, or what uh, are the successful elements, what are the challenges and limitations of these approaches, and uh, maybe connected to this, what is the difference between bottom-up and top-down approaches in stress testing? Thank you very much, Katerina, for this question. I, I will try to not to speak as much as I would like uh, to speak on this. But um, I mean, let, let take me, your time. <laughs> let me address your your points one by one. So, just starting by a scenario analysis. I mean, they they correspond. They are uh, forward looking um, analytical exercises where basically different climate scenarios are defined corresponding to different possible outcomes. I mean, the jargon is to call this type of exercise a stress testing, but as a matter of fact, we are really talking about the scenario analysis. And for that, I would say that the three uh, aspects are very important. First, the time horizon, as climate risks take time to materialize. I mean, today, nothing less than 30 years is really very, uh, say, informative. Second uh, relevant aspect is that, um, I mean, we require nonlinearities in the analysis, uh, in the underlying models to capture aspects like interconnectors, amplification, risk tails, tipping points, and, and so on. And third, and I alluded to that uh, uh, before when I mentioned the ECB exercise, Data granularity is essential, I mean, both at the geographical and sectoral levels. And the granularity of uh, climate change stress testing or scenario analysis uh, is much larger than for the usual stress test that we are, we are used to. And uh, therefore, these are the three key elements of success. Now, on top-down versus bottom-up, I mean, both of them are very relevant, uh, I mean, very informative. And uh, I mean, they are also complementary. Bottom up are exercises that are extre extremely useful for banks because I mean, they are conducted by banks themselves as they have to invest uh, time and thinking in the assessment of new risks and on the development of mitigating actions to specific challenge, say for their business models. Uh, and given the asymmetric path-through of climate risks onto individual banks' balance sheets is, is really necessary, a very detailed knowledge on uh, each bank. And, I mean, these bottom-up exercises are being conducted um, in many uh, geographies. 
However, having in mind the systemic nature of climate risks and thus the need to account for, I mean, as I mentioned before, the interconnectedness of different segments of financial sector, but as well with the feedback with, with feedback with the real economy, top-down exercise, I would say, tend to be more relevant for financial stability purposes. But as I mentioned before, I mean, they are really complementary. Uh, but here, once again, uh, very recent uh, uh, work is extremely uh, relevant. For instance, a recent report by DCB, I mean, this December, so it's a very recent one, uh, has selected good practices implemented by supervised institutions covering, uh, I mean, stress testing frameworks, scenarios, data usage, and modeling approaches. So this is a selection of best practice which encourage other um, market participants to adopt them. So it's um, a race to the top as, as, as soon as best practice become available. And uh, going back again to the NGFS, they have also defined recently, uh, September, this September, so I mean, half a year ago, uh, more demanding objectives for future scenarios covering aspects like the design, uh, sectoral granularity, geographical coverage, and promoting their wider use, uh, I mean, beyond the central banks and supervisors, for instance, inviting academia, academia to, 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 to do that as well. So on this, I mean, I think uh, there is a lot of progress in the recent past, but there is a lot of progress needed in the next um, few years uh, or so. Ah, yes, I see what you meant by saying that you can talk about this quite long, and I see that you have lots of insights uh, on climate scenario analysis and stress testing, and thank you for sharing it with us and with our listeners. Um, the financial sector is complex and interconnected, and thus my next question would be, is it important to assess the impact for all segments of the financial sector? And is it interconnectedness within the financial sector relevant to assess the risks of climate transition to financial stability? Yeah, here is one of the areas where some progress uh, is needed. Um, I mean, having in mind the systemic nature of climate risks, it's really very important to adopt um, I mean, a macroprudential approach to account for all the interactions within the financial sector. So ideally, and that of course is ideally for time being, all the segments of the financial sector should be considered uh, in the same uh, scenario analysis or stress testing exercise. So we should have simultaneously banking, investment funds, insurance firms, and pension funds. Uh, get going back again to the NGFS and to its, um, I mean, work at earlier stage. Uh, the NGFS identified three channels, three main channels of possible amplification mechanisms, and these were changing the pricing and management of financial risks, as the huge uncertainty and the possible materialization of climate risks may translate in risk premia increase across financial instruments. So that was the first channel. Then second, the potential procyclical behavior by market participants resulting, for instance, in large scale sales of assets, I mean, fire sales. And third, uh, self-reinforcing reductions in bank lending and or insurance 
provision. Um, and when you speak about insurance provision, it's important to have in mind that there are protection gaps, which are very and extremely relevant uh, for climate change risks um, in a situation in which the number of relevant natural loss events is increasing. It has increasing, increased uh, substantially over the last 10 years, and uh, a lot of them are not uh, insured. And let me also take the opportunity to mention that EOPA, so the European Insurance Supervisor, has developed the Pilot Protection Gap Dashboard, indicating that protection gaps vary a lot across member states, EU member states, and across different types of natural disasters like flood, wildfire, windstorm, uh, whatever. Uh, so interconnection within the financial sector is really relevant. And ECB, for instance, has provided evidence that uh, including uh, interconnectedness amplifies considerably loss across the system, which are significant larger than when only the banking sector is considered. So if we, uh, I mean, model the interconnects, the channels as they exist in real life, I mean, the losses are larger than when we just um, stress the banking uh, sector. So moving climate change stress testing to a financial wide approach looks a very natural progress. I mean, and, and this comment applies as well for the regular stress tests that, um, I mean, central banks and supervisors do. So I think I persuade you uh, how important it is to deal with this interconnectedness. Thank you. Thank you, Pedro. And um, well, we talked uh, about lots of aspects of uh, climate change risks for financial stability. My last question probably would be on communicating the results of climate risks assessments to stakeholders. So how can uh, central banks, policymakers effectively communicate their climate risks assessments uh, to various stakeholders and promote awareness of climate risks? Well, I, I will say that uh, financial authorities and central banks are already communicating in a very transparent and informative way their climate risk uh, assessments. Um, for instance, the ECB has developed two very insightful climate change stress testing exercises, one top-down, one bottom-up. And uh, I think uh, the ECB managed to explain the results and policy implications of the exercises. And the same applies for um, supervisory expectations and the follow-up uh, uh, of those um, definition of what is supposed for banks to, to do. And uh, I mean, needless to say, the Bank of England uh, has developed a very pioneer work on climate change. Uh, which in many aspects precede the work uh, of other central banks. So I think that the message that has been provided, I think it's uh, fairly clear. Climate change brings risks for financial stability. These risks may be amplified by interconnectedness within the financial sector. These risks may be amplified by cross-border transmission. Timely action mitigates these risks. Um, and I would say that uh, supervisor authorities um, are providing the right incentives for financial institutions to adjust. Uh, of course, there is the 
huge amount of uncertainty involved um, uh, on how um, things will progress in this area. Uh, but I would say that um, central banks uh, are uh, reacting uh, very decisively and in an informative way to, I mean, communicate uh, their climate risk assessment to all the involved stakeholders. Uh, thank you, Pedro. And I think that this is a very powerful message uh, uh, to everyone who is listening uh, our podcast. And I think that, as you mentioned before, the policymakers, central banks, and other stakeholders should work together to develop uh, these effective strategies and tools to mitigate climate risks and ensure a smooth transition to a low carbon economy. Thank you so much, Pedro, uh, again. And I want to uh, inform our listeners that OMFIF will bring together a global network of key policymakers regulators, public and private sector investors, and ESG experts at our Sustainable Policy Institute Symposium, which will take place on 22nd, 23rd of March in London. The symposium will delve into many topics that we discussed today with Pedro. Thanks a lot again, Pedro, for this insightful discussion. We will, uh, at the symposium, we will cover such topics as mo uh, the role of monetary policy, climate risk, regulation, and disclosure. Uh, addressing practical challenges in driving sustainable financial markets to achieve net zero. So thank you again for listening, and we hope this podcast has provided some valuable insights on uh, the important topic of, uh, of financial stability and climate change risks. Join us for the symposium to get more insights and meet the key experts in the sphere. Let me remind you that you can subscribe to this and all other OMFIF podcasts on our channels on Spotify and iTunes. Thank you, Pedro. Yeah, thank you very much again for the invitation. It was really great to be exchanging views with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the OMFIF podcast.